It's April 27th, 2022. Welcome to the new reality edition of Bite Marks Cafe right here on <clears throat> Hawaii Public Radio. And this is where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. My name is Bert Lum. <clears throat> first up, we'll have Mayor Work, and she is from ID Me, and we'll talk about the digital identity system. And of course, uh, right then after that, uh, we'll be joined by Jody Ito. She's our Chief Information Security Officer at the University of Hawaii. And we'll talk about cybersecurity and a program called Gen Cyber. But right now, <clears throat> I want to welcome um, Mayor Work, and she is with a company called ID Me, and uh, she's here to talk about digital identification and the fight against fraud. And I want to welcome Mayor to Bite Marks Cafe. Hi, Bert. So happy to be with you. And I'm happy that you stayed up late because you're calling in from the East Coast and. I think it's a six-hour difference. So thanks for staying staying up late for uh, for us here in Hawaii. Now, now, there. Let me um, let me let me start off by having you describe a little bit about what ID Me is all about. Because I, you know, I I I've actually established an ID on ID Me, but I'd like you to maybe explain it to the rest of our uh, our audience. Sure. So ID Me is a digital identity company. And what that means is that we verify that you are who you say you are for consumer agencies, for federal and state agencies. And once you are verified, you can then use that um, credential or that login that you have through ID.me, and you're able to use it to sign in anywhere else that IDME has accepted. So uh, I don't know if you have a PayPal or a Venmo or something like that, Bert, but it's kind of like you go through that once, and then anytime you see that button, you can use it. You don't have to get re-verified again. And so, you know, in terms of some of the federal uh, agencies, and I give you, I'll, I'll give, I'll share my personal experience so you know the the U.S. Treasury has uh, a bunch of federal programs. One of them is called the Capital Projects Fund, and in order for you to be uh, verified as uh, uh, maybe to access their portal, uh, you need an ID me. So what what basically I did was I I went went through the process, uh, put in my you know my my personal information, I in terms of address and <clears throat> phone number and you know email address and all that kind of good stuff, and then. And then what was interesting was that they actually had someone uh, validate your uh, identification ID by uh, going on a video call, <clears throat> and it was kind of a you know simple sort of uh, like a sort of a Zoom call or a, a video chat call. And mm -hmm. but in the process, what they did was they they asked you, okay, so uh, show me your passport, show me your you know your driver's license, show me your your social security uh, card, <clears throat> and you know, after having gone through that process, I mean, um, that's a pretty, that's a pretty, pretty I, I would say, it's pretty secure validation of that, you know, of my identity. You, you would be correct. It is secure. <laughs> so, you know, we are, we are following um, everything that you just described there. And thank you for going through that, because I think it adds just such a personal note. Um, what you actually experienced was a, the federal guidelines for consumer authentication are called NIST, uh, National Institutes for Standards and Technology, 863 series. Mm -hmm. And that 
basically how the federal government lays out how secure identity verification should happen. IDME simply follows that process. Now, what you got to go through in your um, video chat experience was actually something that about 20% of um, individuals go through because they may not be present in records. And so we're not, uh, the, the process is not able to automatically validate them in records. So what the um, process is, is that we automatically route them to a relief valve or a supervised option with a video chat agent. And mm -hmm. that's what you went through. And that process actually really increases digital equity for individuals who may have had a name change or an address change or something like that. I actually went through that process myself when I verified to get my um, VA health records. And, and in terms of uh, some states and the way that the various states use it, could you give us an example of how, you know, uh, I know Hawaii doesn't use IDME, but what, what, what do some of the other states do and what are some of the use cases? Yeah, there's a number of them. Thanks for asking. So, right, uh, you know, last year and really starting in 2020, mm -hmm. the pandemic started. With the pandemic, there were a couple of federal programs that were created uh, called Pandemic Unemployment Assistance, and there were various federal funds that were administered by um, the state workforce agencies, so various departments of labor within the state. Now, there were significant, um, this was a new program that every state had to administer, and there was a huge payout that was very, um, it, it was different from how unemployment had previously worked. And unemployment typical UI was still going on in the background. Mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. creates huge opportunity for fraudsters mm -hmm. to really overrun state systems and gain that money that was supposed to be for individuals who are out of work due to the pandemic. Um, and so that is how IDME got started. Uh, and we got started in the state of Florida. In, uh, and, and I should say we got started in state work doing the unemployment um, insurance verification, identity verification for pandemic unemployment assistance. And the state of Florida had about, you know, a huge backlog from only three months, the first three months of the pandemic. And they worked with us to come in and set up a pilot solution to see if uh, they could send individuals to get verified, and we would decrease the manual workload on um, their employees who were just had so much on their plates mm. dealing with everything. Right. And very quickly, we were able to pretty much get rid of that workload and get, more importantly, get the individuals that had been waiting for months and months to try to get through the system to be verified and to get their benefits. So well, that uh, that is how we got started with our first state workforce agency. We're now in 27 state, work agen state workforce agencies. We're also doing 
use cases throughout Medicaid, um, throughout various public health agencies. So there's a number of different use cases because digital identity affects everything, and it absolutely affects how you interact with the government. Well, you know, uh, Mayor, I, this is a great topic, and I know we could probably spend a lot more time talking about the <laughs> variety of use cases, and I, I only see more opportunity uh, for a system like this. Uh, but I, I, I think uh, I will want to keep in touch with you and find out more about, you know, identity um, systems like IDME. But where can, you know, if people want to f- learn more about IDME and, and how it works, so where, where would you suggest they go? Sure. So our website is www.id.me. So very simple. Um, and they can also find us uh, as a login solution at various federal agencies like Social Security, VA, and IRS. Very good. I'll put that up on our show notes. Uh, thanks, uh, Mayor, for joining us. Thank you so much, Bert. Have a good one. Thank you. And, of course, you will take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Jody Ito, Chief Information Security Officer over at the University of Hawaii to learn about cybersecurity and the upcoming Gen Cyber Program. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Ulupono Initiative. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm happy to welcome Jody Ito back to the show. She's the Chief Information Officer over at the University of Hawaii and and uh, she is running a program called Gen Cyber. We've had uh, we've had folks on talking about Gen Cyber, and I want to welcome you, Jody, back to uh, Bite Marks Cafe. Hey, thank you so much for having me again, Bert. It's just a thrill for me to be here. Well, you know, you've uh, been involved with uh, uh, Cyber Hawaii, and and I, I know that's a organization that really helps to promote and provide information around cybersecurity topics. Uh, and there uh, must be a number of programs, because I know, I know there was a, another uh, program around girls, girls who code, or there was a, a gen, sort of a cybersecurity. Compu Girls. Compu yeah. Girls, there you go. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, right, no worries. Right, <clears throat> and then right. We, we, had, uh, we talked about that. And, then, and, and Gen Cyber, I, I didn't recall Gen Cyber being... Uh, tightly coupled with with uh, Cyber Hawaii, but maybe maybe now it is. I mean, what what's the connection between Gen Cyber and Cyber Hawaii? So Gen Cyber, um, the University of Hawaii started with that program back in 2015. Mm-hmm. So it's been around a lot longer since Cyber Hawaii, and it's actually an NSA funded program designed to introduce cybersecurity to middle and high school students in a sort of fun summer camp type of environment. It's been growing. And so NSA has added a pre-camp activity, the summer camps, and then a follow-up in the fall with a post-camp activity. Now, our involvement with Cyber Hawaii is really to provide opportunities for these students to meet industry professionals to learn more about what the career opportunities are in cybersecurity. And as you know, it's a growing field. We're in desperate need of cybersecurity professionals, but it really... Um, starts back in middle and high school where we have to introduce these topics to the students so that they can prepare themselves academically and then start also because um, a lot of times these students go into federal jobs 
they also need to keep their reputation clean and, <laughs> yeah. because they need their security clearances. No, that's a, yeah, that's absolutely right. Now, uh, with with Gen Cyber, Gen Cyber is kind of geared for the middle school. Uh, is that correct, or do they also have Gen Cyber for high schools? Uh, so we've actually done both. So in fact, um, since 2015, we've had over 800 campers come through the program mm-hmm. uh, in through 26 camps that occurred basically in summer. Uh, this summer, we are offering four camps to our in-person. First one is at Lelehua. Second is at Molokai mm-hmm. because we're trying to do reach outreach into um, populations that maybe not be as familiar with cybersecurity. And then we're doing two virtual camps. Uh, one is for middle school specifically, and the second one is for high school. So we do try to tailor the curriculum to the grade level so that it is grade and age appropriate. And so, so Jody, I mean, you've got a regular full-time job uh, doing, you know, the, the uh, <laughs> you know, yes. chief information security officer. Are you are you the program manager for Gen Cyber? Do you have people on the in the field actually helping, you know, to let's say do the uh, rollout or facilitation over on on Molokai? So. Uh, so I am the program director for the Gen Cyber program in Hawaii, mm-hmm. and I actually have a couple of staff that help me. So Amanda Tong uh, basically has been helping do a lot of the coordination and also the curriculum development, as well as Tonya Huntley, who's been also assisting with the curriculum de- development and um, planning of some of the meetings and scheduling of activities. We actually engage with Department of Education teachers mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. help us deliver the curriculum and also to recruit the students. So it's been a really great partnership with the teachers and to provide them with opportunities to learn more about the field, and then that way we get uh, better reach into the schools. So yeah, the, you, you know, you actually kind of uh, um, answered the question <clears throat> question I wanted to ask you. How did you get How did you get the teacher on Molokai? I mean, was it a was it a hard sell, or did they you know, willingly kind of embrace, uh, you know, the Gen Cyber program? Because you know the the teachers are pretty much inundated with a bunch of different programs that they could get involved in, from robotics to STEM classes and you know all kinds of stuff. So, how difficult Absolutely. is it to get you know get a, a teacher to be kind of the point person at the school for a program like Gen Cyber? So we do um, reach out and see who's interested. And if they are, then we provide them with ad- additional professional development opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, these uh, we do pay them because, you know, their time is so valuable and you know, they're just such an um, important piece of our program that we really do want to ensure that they're compensated appropriately for their assistance. And again, um, the experience that they bring to the program is phenomenal and actually you know, we, there isn't anything that we could replicate without them. So um, very, very important that we work with them. And we do also work with other programs to uh, try to see what other teachers can be involved. So through some National Science Foundation programs that was designed to introduce computer science principles to high school teachers, mm-hmm. we also look to those teachers to see if they'd be interested in working with us in Gen Cyber. So it really is an ecosystem where we try to understand and know what other programs are going around, on, around in cybersecurity, and try to leverage all of those efforts so that we are creating really a pipeline of students from middle to high school into the post-secondary, and then hopefully out into the careers. Mm-hmm. 
Now, uh, I like to focus on Molokai because uh, not only is it an opportunity, but there's also a need on Molokai, especially in the area of uh, better broadband access. So, you know, if you're going to do cybersecurity types of classes, I mean, it's good to have them be able to use the internet in a in a robust manner. So, you know, we're we're all working on that as well. But in in terms of the Gen Cyber program, what do, what do the kids have to go through? Well, I mean, give give us a typical sort of camp experience. So the camp is really designed for students to come in and learn the basics of cybersecurity without having any previous experience. So it is really um, boots on ground, and we actually cover some about computer science, and we teach them about black coding and Python. Mm-hmm. We introduce mm-hmm. them to cryptography, and they have to decrypt codes. And then we also are going to introduce them to machine learning, and as well as you know a lot of networking opportunities. So we will introduce them to, again, industry professionals. We try to bring in mentors so that they can actually talk directly to the students, and students can just ask questions about what it's like to have a career in cybersecurity. Now, you just mentioned, you just rattled off a bunch of stuff that um, when I recall <laughs> myself back in middle school, I mean, I could barely read, let alone program. I mean, <laughs> you know, how, how are you getting these kids to program in Python at, at the middle school level? No, so it really is um, a very uh, curriculum-driven approach. So we actually have to work with um, our teachers mm-hmm. to review mm-hmm. the materials to make sure, again, it's age-appropriate and that the students will be able to go through the materials with some assistance. So especially the virtual classes that we hold, we do make sure that we have pretty much a let's see, a, a five-student-to-one-instructor-or-mentor ratio mm-hmm. so that we can pull them aside into either breakout rooms or give them the assistance that they need. But what we find is that students are very sharp, um, self-motivated, very driven, and they can actually do a lot of the things that personally I never knew about programming in middle (laughs) school either. But these students today, they're much more mature and sophisticated. And, you know, they already are exposed to so much of our digital world, right, in terms of the gaming, in terms of all of the devices that they're uh, accessing. And they do use it in school. So they're, they're being exposed now. So we're just enhancing all of that. Well, you know, I do want to talk to you a little bit more about uh, something that you, you mentioned on a, on a call that we had uh, this past week called the, um, the cyber readiness and, and how do you assess mm-hmm. cyber readiness because it's kind of, it, it, it uh, dovetails quite closely to stuff that I'm working on in terms of digital readiness. But wait, we hold that thought. Uh, we'll mm-hmm. be right back after this uh, short break to continue our conversation with Jody Ito, Chief Information Security Officer at the University of Hawaii, and we're learning about cybersecurity and Gen Cyber. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Honolulu Waldorf School. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe on HPR One. I'm Bert Lum, and if you're just joining us, we're talking to Jody Ito, Chief Information Security Officer over at the University of Hawaii, and we're learning how students kickstart their cybersecurity pathway. And of course, we're talking about Gen Cyber, and uh, you know, I like the idea that uh, Molokai is going to have in-person uh, camp uh, happening over there, along with Lelehua, and there'll be a couple of virtual camps. But you know, in terms of um, the 
selection of the students that uh, perhaps participate in, in, in these camps. Uh, Jody, you've talked about, uh, I've heard you talk about uh, cyber readiness and, and, and getting, getting the kids sort of, uh, well, actually selecting the kids that would be part of this. How do you make sure that they are, uh, you know, digitally ready? I mean, is it, is it pretty much left to the school to get them to a certain point of proficiency and Actually, how do we get all of them, you know, kind of at a digital readiness level? Readiness, yeah. So for Gen Cyber, again, there is no expectation that the students will have any knowledge about cybersecurity. So it is very basic, and we will go through concepts and principles, and then we'll repeat them throughout the week so mm -hmm. that they can get familiar. Uh, but overall, when you're talking about um, digital readiness, cyber mm -hmm. readiness, it's a a collection of knowledge that they will be accumulating throughout their academic careers. And so it really depends on, for example, in the high schools, they have these academies where the students can then go through, pick the subject that they're interested in. Uh, one would be, for example, IT, and I believe another one is cybersecurity. But then through that program, there are ways that they can achieve um, enough knowledge so that they could test for the different certifications. Not all schools have them, but this is something that the Department of Education is working towards. So I know that there's um, what they're calling a CTE, mm -hmm. a Computer Technical Education, where they're, again, trying to enhance that program to develop more focused um, courses and curriculums on subjects, I think, uh, such as, I think, AI, mm -hmm. artificial intelligence, and then uh, basic IT, and those hopefully can drive, again, into digital badging or credentials. But this is all, you know, so new, um, where we're trying to create the opportunities for high school students, if they have all of the knowledge, that eventually they can just enter the workforce directly. Right. So basically an entry-level job, mm -hmm. uh, and if they decide they want to go back into college for additional learning, they can do that and then go back out into the workforce again. So when we think about the cyber and cybersecurity pathways, it really is about different on-ramps and off-ramps into the actual job. And, you know, in terms of uh, your uh, role at the university and, and, and your perspective of you know, the topic of uh, cybersecurity and it's just the whole digital environment. I mean, what would you recommend to to students wanting to better understand this field? Because uh, I think where you are at and where I'm at, I mean, I, you know, it's almost like everyone needs to have a basic understanding of, of this technology uh, in order to thrive, even survive, <laughs> you know, in our... our uh, 21st century environment. What, what, what would you say to a, a, a you know a student that perhaps doesn't even want to be interested in things like the internet or computers or you know anything that uh, involves that technology? Would you? How would you encourage them to embrace that? So technology is um, basically embedded in almost everything we do. Mm -hmm. So it's not just about computers and networks, but if you think about, uh, say, even the agricultural field, mm -hmm. right, when you're trying to think about the farm to table and do the marketing and uh, outreach and also they're doing uh, digital tracking or putting in RFID tags to try to track uh, products 
so that if there's a recall, you know where it went and how to bring it back. So technology, again, is embedded in almost everything we do. So the main thing is to just be curious and go out and pursue the classes. So there are basic classes, for example, uh, basic IT classes where you're learning how to use a computer, how to use some of the applications like Microsoft Word and Excel, how to use the Internet. So those are basic. And if you want to proceed a little bit further, then you can start going into some of the computer science classes. Mm-hmm, if you're mm-hmm. more interested in uh, supporting IT, there's the more IT-specific courses where you can learn how to um, be a help desk uh, operator or a security operations center analyst. So there are so many different areas that is involved in the whole cyber, cybersecurity realm. And it also can be involved with law, policy, and you can talk about um, business because every business, you think about cyber risks and um, how businesses using all the technology these days. So it, the field isn't really computers and networks anymore. Mm-hmm. If you think about anything, it has a technology touch on there. And one of the things that is really interesting right now is the whole gaming industry, right? Absolutely, the yeah. Esports, and that those are actual, you know, real teams in colleges now. And there's esports commentators. So it's no longer the traditional geek behind the keyboard programming. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Well, you know, in, in terms of, uh, you, you said it perfectly, the foundation upon Almost everything that we do, whether it's, like you said, agriculture, could be in tourism, could be in banking, could be just about anything that we do now is going to be based on some level of understanding of the the digital aspect of that. And and the other thing I think you've uh, uh, hit on, too, is just the idea that, you know, because we use all these systems, the cybersecurity aspect of uh, being more, you know, protective of your, let's say, um, your data, uh, learning some of the basic skills on on how to be uh, more, I think, uh, aware of some of the things that could potentially infiltrate your system. And, and of course, businesses are always going to be looking for uh, people to work there to help harden, you know, that sort of security environment, uh, everything from computers to the network that you're working on. Absolutely. Um, Even in terms of secure programming, uh, when you're thinking about even um, COVID time, we had a situation where it was a facial recognition system that had a digital thermometer mounted on it. Mm -hmm. It was connected to the network that got compromised and that system was attacking other uh, computers across the network. So, again, it touches us everywhere. And the thing is just to dive in. You know, talk to some of your counselors, uh, understand what kinds of courses you you can take in high school. And then we always have these opportunities, such as Gen Cyber in the summer, where you would be able to learn. And Gen Cyber is free. Mm -hmm, You don't have mm -hmm. to pay anything for it. Um, And again, get your feet wet and then start learning more about it. And then you can decide if you want to pursue it more. Or maybe there's just a tangent on the business side, on the ag side, you know, even in the science side, for example, um, water sensors or ocean sensor and wave monitoring, right? Those are all still tied to a network. So, so um, Jody, when, when do these camps start to take place? And uh, we, we were down to about 15 seconds, so 
Uh, give us the URL where we can actually find out where people can register. So where you can go for more information is GenCyber, G-E-N-C-Y-B-E-R dash H-I dot org, O-R-G. And then we have listing all of the camps that are happening this summer. So, and you can register from that site. Sounds good. Jody Ito, Chief Information Security Officer at the University of Hawaii. And I want to thank you for joining us today. And of course, thank you for listening to Bite Bars Cafe. Join us next week when we're here about Hawaii's digital skills gap analysis. If you've missed any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email me at bitemarks at gmail.com. You can find me also on Twitter. I'm uh, at bitemarks. I was just thinking about Elon Musk there for a moment. Uh, your en- our engineer is David Chong. You can catch us on HBR1 every Wednesday or anytime via the HBR app, iTunes, Google, Podcasts, and Stitcher. You stay safe. You stay awesome. We'll see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. Oh,